turn in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, looking at Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, found on page 1,153. We're going to be looking at this account of Levi, the tax collector. Let's read from the beginning of the chapter. So listen to Mark chapter 2, reading verses 1 to 17. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately... When Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. And then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a, a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Well, I want you to imagine that tomorrow you have a job interview. And as well as that, you have a doctor's appointment. And you turn up at your doctor, and your doctor asks you how he can help. And you respond, I don't need help. I'm good. I'm here to help you. Whatever you need, I'll do it. Really hardworking, reliable, and I will never let you down. Later, you turn up at your job interview, and they want to know why you're applying for this job. And you respond saying, I really don't know. There's something wrong with me. 
I barely have enough energy to get here. I sleep most of the day. I'm dependent on others for help. Can you help me? Well, clearly you are mixed up. But sadly, we do the same with Jesus. We approach Jesus as if we are on a job interview. We try and prove ourselves to him when we should be approaching him as our doctor, asking him for help. So I want you to notice that Jesus has come into the world. But if you think you don't need him, well, then you are condemned. Instead, you are to recognize that you are a sinner in need of Christ's help. So you can look forward to this eternal feast in heaven. So firstly, Levi the sinner is a picture of you and me. Verses 13 and 14. Jesus is walking along the shore of Galilee near Capernaum. And again, we read of crowds of people coming to him. And Jesus continues with his teaching ministry, preaching the kingdom of God has arrived in him and that they, the people, they are to repent and they are to believe in him. Mark then includes this episode of Jesus calling Levi to follow him. And remember, Mark is not collecting a random uh, bunch of memories of Jesus' ministry. No, these events of Jesus' ministry are carefully selected to teach us more how Jesus, as God's promised king, fulfills uh, him as the Messiah and fulfills what the kingdom is to look like. And here in this passage, we see who is included in Jesus' kingdom. Well, repentant tax collectors are included in the kingdom of God. Now, the tax man, or the IRS, is not popular today. But in Jesus' day, these men were absolutely despised. They were seen as traitors. They willingly worked for the occupying Roman government. Romans were oppressing the people. They were restricting their freedom. They were putting a huge tax burden on the people. Now, during World War II, when France was occupied by the Nazis, a number of French were willing to collaborate with the Nazis. They saw it as an opportunity to make money, even though it hurt their fellow countrymen. And so they were hated as a result. Well, this is how these tax collectors would be viewed. They were traitors working for the enemy. Now, the Romans had a number of taxes. There was a poll tax where every adult had to pay a tax. There was an income tax. And then there was a tax on goods. So grain and wine, oil and fish were all taxed. And so it's not surprising to find a tax collector on what would have been a major trade route north and south, and he would have been taxing the fish that was being transported from this thriving fishing industry in the Sea of Galilee out of the port of Capernaum. And the Romans, they sold these tax offices to locals, like franchises. As long as the Romans got their cut, the tax collectors were free to charge whatever they liked. And so they charged huge sums of money and they abused the vulnerable in society. And so these men were hated for their corruption and for their dishonesty. And as a result of their treachery and their willingness to tax exorbitant amounts, tax collectors were seen as being in the same boat as murderers and robbers, and that they were not allowed to give witness in a court. 
They were also deemed to be unclean because of their contact with Gentiles in charging them taxes. This gives you an idea of the type of men that these tax men were, these tax collectors. It didn't attract the accountant types. No, these tax collectors were more like thugs and enforcers. They were part of the underworld of Jewish society. One of these tax collectors was a man named Levi. That's an interesting name. His parents must have had high hopes that he would serve God, maybe like a Levite in the temple or even a priest. In that position, he would represent God to the people. But instead, he chose to represent Rome to the people. Scrivener writes, Levi is in bed with the enemy, getting rich off the misery of his own people. And as the crowd approached Levi's tax office, they would have moved to the other side of the street to avoid him. But Jesus, he walks right past him. And in doing so, calls out, Levi, son of Alphaeus, come and follow me. He calls this man to follow him and to be one of his disciples. Now, anyone that Jesus calls would have no choice but to follow. That's Jesus' authority. That's not normally how Jesus works. And so there is a backstory here, and Mark is only giving us the climax of Levi's journey in coming to faith in Christ. So remember, this is Capernaum. And we read many times of how the crowd came to hear Jesus in Capernaum. Mark 1, verse 28, we read that Jesus was known throughout the region around Galilee. So it's not surprising that Levi, who's at the heart of the community, would have heard about Jesus. Perhaps he even heard about Peter leaving behind his profitable fishing business to follow Jesus. For someone like Levi, who clearly loves money, his ears would prick up with news like that. Had Levi also heard of Jesus healing the sick, raising a paralytic, cleansing a leper. But would Jesus do something like that for him? The paralytic, the leper, they did not choose their lifestyle. But Levi did. And yet Jesus said to Levi, follow me. And so this is incredible news for Levi, that Jesus, this man of God, would want to call him. We read that he arose and followed him. And we see this word arose that Mark likes to use in Jesus' various encounters with people. Arose speaks of resurrection, of new life found in Christ. And Levi willingly left his job, his profitable lifestyle, his financial security to follow Christ. In Jesus, he saw a fresh start. Jesus would give him a new life, a life away from the treachery that he was involved in, a release from the guilt of the sin that he was involved in, something that all the riches in the world would not provide for Levi. And so Levi left everything to follow Jesus. Levi is better known as Matthew, and it seems that as Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter, he also changed Levi's name to Matthew to signify this new life. Matthew means gift of God. 
gift of God is not what you would think of when describing Levi, but God would use Matthew, this gift of God, to give hope to each one of us. Maybe you're thinking that you are beyond the reach of Jesus, that there is no way that God would have you as one of his children. But this passage teaches you that he will. There is no one beyond God's forgiveness. Levi is not that different from you and me. Yes, we are not in a tax booth charging needy people large amounts of money. But in our hearts, you and I are just like Levi. We're sinners. Like Levi, you must hear Jesus' call to follow him and be ready to leave everything to do just that. Well, secondly, notice Pharisees, the self-righteous, they are a picture of you and me. We read that Levi had a party, a conversion party, and he invites his friends. He wants them to meet Jesus. He wants them to experience God's grace like he has. Now imagine who would be the friends of this kind of man. Well, fellow tax collectors and sinners. Sinners here refer not to everyone, but instead those whose reputations had been compromised by their sinful choices and open sinfulness that the people looked down upon. And in the middle of this party was Jesus and his disciples. Jesus was happily eating and drinking with these people. But there were others at the party, the scribes and the Pharisees. They were not sitting with these people. They seemed to have gate-crashed the party. And it was not to enjoy the feast. No, it was to spy on Jesus. They wanted to be witnesses to the fact that Jesus was eating and drinking with these people. This is Mark's first reference to the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they separated themselves off from society. They did not want to be influenced by the Greek culture of that day. They were devoted to the law of God, and they applied every part of his law to their lifestyles. Now, we have already come across the teachers of the law, or the scribes. They were the legal professionals of the Old Testament law. Every town would have a scribe who would provide legal help or legal interpretation. Some of these scribes would also be Pharisees. The Pharisees were the ones who applied this law to their lives. They believed the law was made up of 613 commandments, 248 were positive commandments, 365 were negative ones. And then surrounding these laws, they created additional laws so you would be sure to obey the original law. And these laws included who you would eat with. You could only eat with those who you were sure had tithed correctly. And remember, you had to tithe everything. That included the herbs that were growing in your garden. And the result is the Pharisees could only eat with other Pharisees. And so they quickly became this distinct group in society. Ferguson writes, to be a Pharisee was to commit oneself to a life of radical separation and to live in accordance with an enormous list of do's and don'ts. Well, Jesus is clearly not keeping these additional man-made rules. He's breaking them. for He is eating with sinners. He is eating with rule breakers. And so as a result, these Pharisees believe that their religious lifestyle is being challenged by Jesus. 
And they condemn him when they ask his disciples, why is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? They will not accept Jesus, for they see him as not respecting their rules or their traditions. And they were deceiving others by encouraging them to break the rules. He's welcoming these sinful people into his life when he should have been condemning them would have been their thoughts. In the UK, at Christmas time, there are theater productions called pantomimes, and they involve audience participation, so that when the villain comes out on stage, the audience will boo and hiss. And we naturally want to boo and hiss at the Pharisees when they come on the scene. We know that they are in the wrong. But are we that different from the Pharisees. The Pharisees believe that they are right with God because of their good deeds, because of their holy living, their law-keeping. And they did all this to please God. As a result, they became self-righteous. And often you and I, we do the same. We are very committed to our Bible reading. We help out with the meals at church. We pray faithfully. We have all our doctrines worked out. And the result can be that we feel good about ourselves. We become self-righteous. We think, of course, God is proud of me. Or it could be the opposite. We mess up, we fall back into sin, and we think that we have ruined our relationship with God, that God is not interested in me now. I'm not wanting to belittle seeking to live in God's way, nor do I want to belittle sin, which should be repented of. But when we think that by doing these things that it will impact the basis of your relationship with God, then you have not understood the gospel. You instead believe that your relationship with God is down to your performance. The Pharisees were not free from sin because of all their rule-keeping. Instead, what had happened, it made them self-righteous. They were proud men, and they looked down on others. And so this sin of the Pharisees is a danger to each one of us. And it's a special temptation to us as those who are concerned with the law of God. We are concerned with understanding God's doctrines correctly. We can be so quick to look down on other Christians for not taking God's law seriously. But you are right with God because of his grace. It's not down to your theological understanding. You should still want a deep theological understanding, but it should not lead to pride. God's grace enables you to be friends with people, with believers from various theological backgrounds. Levi is clearly now a friend of Jesus, and so anyone who is Jesus' friend should also be your friend. So do not let pride Do not let self-righteousness stand in the way of knowing Jesus. Well, thirdly, Jesus came to heal you of your sin. Verse 17. Jesus makes it very clear what's going on. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In the UK, the NHS, the National Health Service, seeks to educate people about getting the appropriate medical services when they are ill. 
And so they remind people to make use of the NHS web website, the non-emergency phone number, your local pharmacist, your eye doctor, your non-urgent care clinic. And the goal is, is to reduce the number of people visiting the ER, which quickly gets overcrowded. If you're not seriously unwell, you don't need to use a doctor. You don't need to spend hours sitting in the ER when you can pop into your pharmacist for treatment for your minor ailment. Well, Jesus is saying the same. If you're healthy and strong, you don't need a doctor. But Levi is sick. He is not well. He does need a doctor. His illness isn't physical. It's spiritual. He is a sinner, and Jesus is calling him to repentance. And so it's right for Jesus to be reaching out to Levi. That is why he eats with sinners and tax collectors. He is healing them. Now, Jesus is not implying that the Pharisees are actually healthy. But they do think of themselves as being healthy. They do think of themselves as being righteous. And so Jesus is using their language, which comes as a result of their self-righteous attitude, which divides society between righteous and sinner. Hughes in his commentary says, Jesus was saying, in effect, to people who think they are righteous, I have nothing to say. But to those who know they have need, I have come. The Pharisees were blind to their own sin, to the fact that they are seriously ill. And so as a result, they don't see any need to go to the doctor. Now, when you visit your doctor, you don't tell them you're healthy. They won't be impressed. You're wasting their time. A doctor can't help you if you say you're well. And Jesus can't help you if you claim to be righteous. Keller writes, Jesus calls people righteous who are in the same position spiritually as those who won't go to a doctor. Righteous people believe they can heal themselves, make themselves right with God by being good or moral. They don't feel the need for a soul physician, someone who intervenes and does what they can't do themselves. Jesus is teaching that he has come to call sinners, those who know they are morally and spiritually unable to save themselves. So we need to be careful that we don't behave just like the Pharisees, thinking we are spiritually fit and well. But yes, we may have a few issues, but it's nothing serious. Now, you have a chronic illness. When you recognize that you're seriously ill, you don't object to going to see the doctor. You know you need someone else's help. You know you need treatment. You need medicine to make you better. Well, you have a terminal illness that only Christ the doctor can take care of. Scrivener writes, step forward, Jesus, and he comes, not as a spiritual prize giver, rewarding the good and punishing the bad. Jesus is a spiritual doctor, attending to the sick and only the sick. So Jesus is your spiritual doctor. Come to him for healing from your sins. Well, fourthly, notice, point others to Christ to know his healing power. What's most sad about these Pharisees is that the sick and the dying were all around them and they would not minister to them. These men believed they're serving God and yet they were keeping God far from the people who needed God the most because they were more concerned about their own self-righteousness 
They were afraid of being polluted by these sinners. The Pharisees' desire to isolate away from the world is a temptation for each one of us. Yes, we're not to assimilate with the world, but locking ourselves away will not help either. There are many occurrences where Christians, in their desire to separate from the world, they commit the same types of sins that they're trying to avoid. The only difference is they do it in secret rather than openly like the world. But God sees this hypocrisy, this account of Levi leaving everything to follow Jesus should excite you. That is the change that Christ can bring into people's lives. And you should desire for others also to know of Jesus' healing power. What does this look like? Too often we can be critical of others in their sinful choices. While I'm not saying you are to condone sin, but you must never think that you are better. Before God, we are all sinners. Levi, this traitor, this white-collar thief, is not that different from you or me. Our sins may be hidden, but they are equally condemned. And so when the outcasts come into our church, they should quickly feel at home here. It should not be a case of them thinking, oh, these are all good people. I don't fit in. No, we are all sinners in need of God's grace. And that can only happen when there is an honesty and an openness with one another. That we're not presenting ourselves as always doing well, but that we are able to say, I have sinned. At the same time, you're not wallowing in your guilt of sin. You know that in Christ, you're healed. You know the grace of God. That's what you want others to know. And you don't just go to Christ once to be healed, but you're continually relying on his grace. I know some of you get uh, frequent infusions to boost your immune systems. Well, each one of us, we need these frequent infusions from Christ our doctor. You need God's grace each day. And so church is not a place that you avoid when you mess up. No, it's a place that you must turn to and be surrounded by others who are not shocked by sin, but instead are ready to point you to Jesus, reminding you of his healing power. So do not be afraid to speak to those who are sick. Reach out to them. Point them to Jesus for his sustaining grace, for his healing, so they know repentance from sin. Well, finally, look forward to feasting with Christ and all his disciples. In the middle of all of this, we read of Jesus eating and drinking with the tax collectors and sinners. And this is no ordinary meal that Jesus was partaking in. In Luke's account, it's described as a great feast. And Jesus, in his human nature, he needs food to sustain him. He needs rest to strengthen him. That's not why Mark is including it, or certainly not the main reason. Mark is selecting these passages or these events in Jesus' life to teach us. Jesus, throughout his ministry, is very intentional to help us see what his kingdom is like. And so we see the kingdom will include the outcasts of society, those who recognize their sickness and go to Christ looking for healing. But we see something else. 
Christ brings people into his kingdom to enjoy a feast. Isaiah, in his prophecy, promised that the Messiah would feast with his people. In Isaiah 25, we read, And in this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. So this picture of Jesus eating and feasting with Levi, this repentant sinner, and others, is a fulfillment of this prophecy. Sadly, the Pharisees, they missed out on this feast. All they could see were the broken rules. They did not see how this feast was part of Christ's kingly work. They could not understand how these tax collectors, how these sinners could be invited. And as a result, they are the ones not invited to the feast. Jesus feasted many times in the gospel. He speaks of feasting in the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son. A celebration that the lost are found, but the dead are made alive. And Jesus is at the center of this feast. It's not Levi, even though it's his house, he's the host. Now notice they are sitting or reclining at table with Jesus. So there is a communion. It's not that Christ is, um, is remote and sitting at the top table. No, he's sitting with them. And so Jesus is with us, and his disciples too are with him. Too often we think, I'm okay with Jesus, but not his disciples. We're not willing to sit with them. Well, that's the wrong attitude. You must forgive others and enjoy the communion we have with each other in Christ. And last week we had a picture of just that at the communion. We celebrated this sacrament. We came together. We sat at the table, and Jesus was with us spiritually in the bread and the wine. These symbols are that of his body being broken, his blood being shed to bring us to his banqueting table. It cost him his very life to bring you to this feast. And so every communion we get this foretaste of a a greater feast in heaven. And you can look forward to when his kingdom is fully realized, when he takes us to be with him to this great feast in heaven, a feast that you don't want to miss out on. Jesus has come into this world, but if you don't think you need him, well, you are condemned. Instead, recognize you are a sinner. You need Christ's help so you can look forward to this eternal feast with him in heaven. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your work of grace in the life of Levi, how you brought him from his life of sin to relationship with you. And we thank you that even, we thank you that we too are sinners like Levi, and yet you have rescued us. You have brought us to your banqueting table so we can enjoy fellowship with you. Forgive us, Lord, when we have this attitude of the Pharisees, 
Help us, Lord, not to be self-righteous. Instead, Lord, that you would use us to point others to Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Let's sing Psalm 36b. Psalm 36b. The psalm speaks of feasting in God's house, house and how we can know satisfaction in him. And this is what we have to look forward to in heaven when we are with Christ to all eternity. Let's stand and sing Psalm 36b.